What's going on, everyone? Philly Insider Podcast. It's your boy Hunter Doyle. We got Sanjay George and Nate Rossi here today, and a special guest, Chris Franklin from NJ.com. No Huddle Show. Thank you, Chris, for coming on. I have all his links below to his Twitter, his work online, his articles, and the No Huddle Show, so you guys can go listen if you don't, because it's one of the best Eagles podcasts out there. I guarantee it. Go so, check that Chris, out. Yeah, for real. So, guys, thank Chris, you guys. Seriously, thank you guys so much. Now, make sure what's your Venmo so that way I make sure I get you guys all the money that you did to pay. You say all that stuff, but hey, I appreciate it. But uh, I thank you guys very much for having me on. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. Thank you, Chris, for coming on. And um, make sure that you guys go check it out again. It really is a great podcast. But, Chris, why don't you introduce yourself and just tell everyone who you are? Hey, well, I'm Chris Franklin. I uh, joined the NJ.com this past offseason uh, for the Eagles beat, and it's been a lot of fun uh, getting to see the ins and outs of this team. Uh, it's, it's been an interesting year, to say the least, uh, when it came to uh, COVID and the way that this season ended for the Eagles as well, too. So it's uh, it's been interesting. Uh, I get to work with Mike K, my fellow beat reporter. And uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Go ahead and bring you guys all these uh, all the news to NJ.com and, and the No Huddle Show podcast. Well, awesome. I mean, it really has been an interesting year. So as you can imagine, we have a lot that we want to go over in this podcast. There were there were definitely some tears shed at points, uh, some some really sad Sundays. Um, very few exciting Sundays, but, uh, you know, we were still into it until the very end, unfortunately. But, Chris, we're going to just ask you, like, tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming like a journalist and to getting on the no huddle show. And also like what, what we always want to know, like what a day or like a week in the life of a beat reporter looks like when you guys, you know, obviously you have press conferences, you have to go through your writing articles. Just give us a little inside scoop on that. Wow. Uh, I'll, I'll start with the, the, uh, I'll start with the day in the life first. Cause the journey is, it, it's a, it's a weird, strange one, but uh, <laughs> to start with the, uh, our day in the life, pretty much seven, seven thirty, you basically, have your your phone's on all the time because you never know what happens because you start to you may get to hear that thing or you hear the little alert going like uh oh what's what's going on so you start to go ahead and check to see what's what news is this broke and you start you start to plan your day when it comes to there and then you're just constantly just calling people you're constantly just checking out feed like you, it's it's a competition in a, in a lot of ways too we me and Michael on one team you have all the other different outlets that are out there and we try to go ahead and try to break news first and just try to give the most the the most informative content that we possibly can and analysis and not just not to say okay this happened this happened this happened but also analyze all that stuff that happened so it's a never-ending never ending the hours along but you know what it's worth it in the end because because you get that payoff you get to see what a lot of people don't have the opportunity to do up close you some a lot of people especially in philadelphia they thought they loved the eagles they grew up with the eagles and to have the opportunity to go ahead and see this team up close. I mean, it's a lot, not a lot of people are afforded that privilege. Now for the journey part, it's weird one. Uh, I started out, uh, I, started, I went to school, I went to University of Delaware to go ahead and study uh, journalism, but I ran out of money instead of actually, you know, I live 15 minutes away from the campus, but instead of actually, you know, saving the money, I kind of went ahead and said, yeah, let me live on campus. And yeah, that ran out real quick. And that was, it, yeah, it wasn't the brightest idea, but after that, I went into sales. I, I sort of took the Jimmy Kimsky route. I went to sales selling cameras, selling cell phones. Uh, was a car dealership because I heard the ad say, hey, you know what? You want to make $100,000? Well, yeah, okay, cool. Got to the car dealerships and 
I sucked at that. And to be honest, I just stunk at selling cars. So what I did, they got me into the uh, business development center and I started learning SEO. You start learning social media a little bit more. You start taking those skills. And on the same side, I was playing semi pro football. And when I was there playing in semi pro football, I was like, okay, cool. I was playing for South Jersey Generals, County Rangers, all the different places. And I was going ahead and there's a guy, Frank Stevens, who was starting this magazine called Coaching Player. And he originally asked, uh, he originally asked, our starting quarterback, hey, you know what? Hey, we want you to go ahead and write for it. He's like, I, I don't want to really, I'm not really good at it, but I know somebody who actually went to school for it and he recommended me. So I was like, wow, cool. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. And so started going, started there. And then I think probably looking back, the best thing that ever happened for me is why I broke my ankle playing the game. I mean, it, it was, it was a bad one. And I really shouldn't play it from here on out because, yeah, I broke the bone and tendons and everything. But from there, I go ahead and uh, really focused on my writing. And once I started focusing on writing, started covering content, got to cover Temple Owls. So I started covering them. So I was there when guys like Robbie Anderson and you yeah. see, uh, Ron Reddick and all those guys just in there. I was like, okay, cool. And then next thing you know, I'm working for the Sun Papers in Jersey, the weeklies, and then NJ.com and covering news in South Jersey for three years. And, and next thing you know, I'm here talking to you guys covering the Eagles. Wow, awesome. Well, thanks for giving us a little bit of insight to that because, um, you know, obviously we're doing a podcast, so we're kind of like trying to get started on a little bit of a journey of our own. And it's always cool to hear like how you got started and just kind of just a little inside scoop on the job too. No worries. Perseverance. That's the, that's the big key as well too, because there's a lot, I'm not going to lie, there's a lot of times thinking like, there's no way this is going to happen, but you guys just, you guys keep believing in yourselves. You keep working hard and you keep looking at every op opportunity avenue. You just go for it. 100%. Uh, Chris, it's it's no secret that this was a pretty bizarre season, uh, especially with COVID and, and really just uh, a truncated uh, preseason. Uh, so strange, especially for the players. Um, but what was it like covering the Eagles during this strange season? I mean, obviously, you have the quarterback controversy, you have all the COVID stuff. How strange was it? It was very different because a lot of times, especially what we do, you want to go ahead and try to build those personal relationships. So you go ahead and you try to find out what's going on in team and can't really do that when the locker rooms closed and everything's through zoom. So lots to a lot of times you call on, you make a lot of calls and you're hoping to say, it's might get a hold of somebody or trying to find different ways. So a, a lot of this, the relationship building. And then when it comes to just overall seeing what happens at practice, you know, we're off to the side, so we can't see it. And then if it was raining or snowing or toward, especially toward the end of the season, we got cold and they practice inside. You couldn't really get those little small details here and there. I mean, a lot of us, I bet you a lot of us probably sit in our houses and sitting in the offices looking around, looking on the, on the same Eagles broadcast going, okay, we think we see this person here. We think we see them here. But, hey, they're sitting on the side and then, okay, going off that is So that stuff kind of, that, that kind of hampered in some aspects. But you, just like everybody else has had to do in, in, in their lives, we had to find different ways to adapt and, and to keep going. So it, it definitely impacted the way we were able to go ahead and do things around here. But I think it's. I think we learned a lot of the stuff that we can use for the futures as well, too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for being a fan, it was it was weird enough. So I, I'm sure it must have been very different up close, too. And just we just want to kind of dive into the, the football aspect of this, too. Like, what do you what do you think happened that led to the, the complete destruction of this team? I guess you could say this year. And what are some of your like biggest takeaways from the 2020 season? Well, I think the first thing uh, we just talked about, I think one thing was COVID. I think a lot of these guys, especially when trying to get back into the flow of things, I mean, there was so, many, so much talk early on is, is there going to be a season? Are they going to truncate the season? 
And once things started happening, I think a lot of these guys, you, you didn't get that bonding that you see a lot of teams have, a lot, a lot of good teams have, at least anyway. So you didn't have the time to go ahead and start seeing, like I think for the Eagles, you didn't see a lot of guys coming together, seeing what was going on. So I think that was one. I think uh, looking back at it, I think the Eagles drafting Jalen Hurts may have played a role in the way that uh, it may have gotten in the head of Carson Wentz. I mean, I mean, no quarterbacks will ever want to go ahead and say, hey, you know what? No, this guy affecting here is going to want to impact me because, you know, you're the leader of the team and everything. But I think that kind of may have played a role in there. So I think that played that impact as well, too. And you had a lot of young guys that, because of injuries, had to come in and step in and not having that time to go ahead and practice, not having that those extra reps early on. I mean, they're playing catch up from there, too. So I think a combination of that stuff really factored in when it came to that. And then it also didn't help that especially on the offensive side of the ball. You had a lot of different voices in there. A lot of people say, hey, maybe you should go ahead and run this running this type of system. You may have that. I mean, you had Rich Gangarella in his own system, and then you still had a traditional East Coast offense where Doug and everybody else ran it, and you're trying to find a happy medium, and, oh, yeah, we're going to do this without really having the mini camps and everything else. So uh, I think a lot of that factors factored into the way the season went. I got you. And then – we talked a bit about you just said some of the big takeaways for this season, but another big contribution to it was the overall roster. And we'll talk about who put together that roster a bit later on. <laughs> for now, for now, I want to ask you, where do you rank the current Eagles roster in the NFL just talent-wise? Just talent-wise, you see the people we got right now today. Where do you put us? Middle of the pack, top, you got a top 10, top 20, top 30 if it's really that bad. Like, where you got us here, man? I see where you're going with top, so I'll stay with top because it's definitely. I'll say top thirty, top twenty nine, twenty eight is around there. I think there's, there's a lot of stuff right now, especially there's going to be so much uncertainty right now. You have you don't know your secondary. I think the way the secondary is constructed, Avanti Maddox is not a is not an outside corner. I think he was no, better than no. and we saw what happened when they started go ahead and getting those taller, bigger receivers. I mean, he's, he's a great talent inside the slot and everything, but I think you saw stuff like that. So the secondary has issues. The linebackers got better as the season went on. I think you saw uh, – I know a lot of people can't believe this, but Nate Gary actually improved as the year went on. I mean, especially in the run in the run game especially. I think in the passing coverage he still had his issues, but in the run game, that one. Defensive line, I have no problem issues with them. I thought they did well. But then you start to look at what happened at the receiver in the receiver position. Now, I know Zach Hurts Zach got hurt. Dallas Goddard missed a lot of time. Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson injuries, stuff like that. But when you look at the production you got out of there, I was looking at this the other day. The fact that I think, uh, was it Travis Fogum still led the team in receiving this year? And you had guys like Nelson Aguilar come ahead and beat him. Danny Amendola. Danny, Danny Amendola would have led this team in, in receiving yards. When you look at the output that you got, out of your receiving core, I think it was a little bit rough as well too. And then, I think they this team really needs, a, and they may have to look at investing besides court like who's going to be quarterback. But you also may look looking at some reserve running backs as well too. Because I think Boston Scott, when he had the opportunity against the Giants, he's he's great against that. But there, mm-hmm. there's some option, there's some areas where he could have done a little bit better as well too. So I think I wouldn't mind the team looking at a couple of reserve back running backs as well too, but there's so many holes on this team and so limited resources with the way the salary cap is. It's, it's, it's a tall task to have ahead of them. <laughs> For real. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Um, so looking at the Eagles team right now, 
uh, looking at all facets of the team, whether you're looking at the front office, you know, the coaching staff, uh, the salary cap, and then obviously the players too. What are your biggest keys for this offseason, uh, biggest, you know, things on the to-do list for the Eagles going into next season? I think the first thing, obviously right now, especially with the vacancy, is find a coach that not only – I know there's a lot of stuff out there that's put a lot on the different scheme of his offensive defensive. I think this team needs to find a coach that can instill a good culture again because – a lot of times, I mean, you hear the guys, I mean, just look at Adam Gase, look at the Mark Tressmans, look at the Mike Martzes, because could design plays up left and right and find ways to scheme guys open everything else. But if they're not, if you're not a good teacher, if you don't have the core of what your franchise should be, none of that matters. So I think they have to find not only a guy who's talented in order to draw things up, but they have to find a leader and a guy who can instill a good culture to go move forward. And just like when Jeffrey Lurie said he wants somebody three to five years down the line, you need that for the three to five years down the line. When it comes to the draft, they're going to have to go ahead and hit on even, I'd probably say at seven, they had to hit five out of seven because with the uncertainty again with the cap and free agency, you're going to need a lot of these young guys to go and possibly step in. So I think they're going to have to go ahead. And I'm, I'm, John Dorsey, I think, is going to be able to help this team a lot. I mean, he's, he's on his consultant, and consultant can be very vague. They can be going, hey, we, you know, we want you to see where this the tight end position is going a few years from now or who identifies some linemen and stuff like that. But I think just his presence alone can help Howie Roseman in the area where Roseman has had some deficiencies in. And I also think that this team really, really – I think the line's going to come back so as we find – I think they really have to go ahead and start investing in the linebacker position again. I mean, I think you have some pieces there. Alex Singleton played very well. Canadian football defensive player. Yeah, of the year. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he keeps coming back. <laughs> he knows like, who is this guy? I mean, you cut, you cut multiple times and he just comes back and all of a sudden you lead an NFL team in tackles. I mean, he, he had a great year. TJ Edwards, I thought he did a great, uh, a good job as well too. It was a great, so it still has some of his issues in coverage. I thought, but I think he does did a good job, but when you look at that third linebacker position, you start to have questions. I mean, Davion Taylor, everybody said he was going to be a project and turned to his project before. Now he's going to have to be coming back from a knee injury. That's that's a big ask, you know, coming back, go ahead and rehabbing, get confidence in that knee again. Sean Bradley's a more of a middle linebacker. I would, I would love to see him, the team, try to go ahead and use him either as a Sam or a Will. I think as a Sam, if, but there were some issue, questions about if he can go ahead and his coverage, coverage ability. So you have little things like that. Nate Gary's a free agent. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of questions in that position, but I, I don't think they'll take it. And we know the team's history when it comes to selecting a linebacker in the first round, they can go ahead and just toss out the window. But I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing the team go ahead and use a second or third round pick. And I think that will be a position that they can go ahead and use as a strength, especially in – but all that depends on who they select as a coach and defensive court, coordinator as well, too. Yeah, 100%. And we, we've been talking about Davion a lot this year, like, he, we, we knew coming into the draft, like he was going to be a project no matter what, because obviously the inexperience because of his high school days and college days. But the fact that he was not on the field this year, like I think, I believe he had like the fewest snaps of a third or like a, I believe like a day two linebacker in a long time. There was some stat on it, but that was definitely something like we were like at the beginning of the season, especially we were saying, could he really be any worse than what we're seeing right now? But obviously, like you said, it did improve as the year went on. But you also hinted at Doug Peterson was fired the other day. Um, we are now in the head coaching search. You got to talk to Doug Peterson in press conferences. So I want to also ask you, in addition to the, our main question, just, 
you know, Doug has not been the best with the media at times. He's definitely had his moments. So uh, just what was it like being um, in there for those press conferences? And also just thoughts on the firing in general. And I know, you, you know, you're a big Lincoln Riley guy from what I've seen on Twitter and all that. And I know uh, Mike is a big Arthur Smith guy as well. So just thoughts on the next uh, few potential candidates. I know they're bringing a lot of interviews right now. I think uh, first off, when you start to look at, think about what Doug Peterson did for the Eagles, I think he, it was a tall task. I mean, coming in there as a first time head coach is tough and having to face questions from all of us. I mean, it's, it's unlike most markets. I mean, Philly market is tough when it comes to media because it's asked a lot of tough questions and there's a lot of stuff going on there and it's not easy for anybody. And I think that looking back overall, if you look at his lasting legacy, I think he'll go down probably as maybe the second best coach in Eagles history. I mean, I think you look at Andy Reid, what he did for a long, sustained period of time. He was able, he did a lot of good stuff. I mean, the sustained playoffs, I mean, his coaching tree, when it, while just alone here is just is good. But I think when you look at the success that Peterson have in just those few seasons, it was, it was really good. And I mean, and talking to there sometimes, you, you, the only thing I wish that Doug did more is like he was hesitate sometimes, like he was ready to go ahead and open up and say something, but then he'll pull himself back and then. Okay, and then he'll go ahead and just seem like whatever line that he wanted to go ahead and use to not try to make any upset. I think that's what it just what it appeared like. It, it could be like, hey, you know, you may have thought it out halfway, but that's what it appeared from from Sony answers. As for the current search right now, I was a huge Lincoln Riley guy. Sounds like he's going to stay put in Oklahoma. The reason why I was because he showed that history of building a, a sustaining a program in Oklahoma, and then the fact that he was able to go ahead and that offense, the way, the way they operate. I mean, everybody hears air raid and think like, oh, they're going to pass it 70 times a game and just three runs. But he found a way to find some balance in as well, too. I mean, Oklahoma was up there in the top 30, I believe, in, in, in uh, rushing yards as well, too. So they used the pass sub run and vice versa as well, too. There's a balance in there and little nuances there. Arthur Smith, I think, is a good candidate as well, too. Uh, Robert Saleh is, for me, if I had to replace Riley – with some, on a top three list with somebody else. I mean, I have Deuce. I have, uh, I think, Double's a, a good one as well, too. And I think uh, I'd probably put Sally in there now as well, too. I think just looking at his pedigree, I mean, he came from the Gus Bradley tree as well, too. He coached, I mean, just a list of coaches he coached under. He coached under Brian Kelly. He coached under, he coached under uh, Gary Kubiak. I mean, I mean you know, even though you think like Gary Kubiak was good, I mean, the run game and he did it's the little nuance he did, he was it was good at. I, I think that he offers a lot. His defenses have been stellar the past two years, and I think with a good offensive coach, he'd be a good option as well too. So I definitely think. I mean, if Riley wants to pop in and go, you know what, she's on my eight. I'm all for that. But I think Sally, um, Dabble, and uh, Deuce will be my top three as of right now. And I wanna I wanna ask you one question going off of that too. Um, with with Selah or Selah, um, not sure I pronounced his name. I'm sure we'll find yeah, out. Well. But um, <laughs> obviously, you know, he he has a very cover three heavy scheme from what I've been reading. And obviously, you know, you have Darius Slight, who's kind of more of a man or press man corner for the most part. How do you think that would affect him um, if if Robert Selah was to come here? I think you can go ahead and you can marry both at times as well too. You, mm -hmm. you can go ahead and mix it up as well too. I know the base is going to be a cover three, but I think you can go ahead. You can disguise. It. I mean, you can go ahead and go yeah. go ahead and have. Hey, you know what? Hey, I want to roll the guy up this way, but I'm going to have Max or who knows, Retainer Fairly, whoever comes on the other side. They draft guys. I go that way. They draft guys that way too. I think there are different ways. I think you can marry as well too. You don't have to be just uh, 
I, I know that the basis of it is a cover three, but you can go ahead and just mix that up as well, too. I mean, mm-hmm. I think there are ways you can go ahead and disguise. I think I wouldn't be surprised if he still did some more, man, like still keep his base principles up front and then just went man back. But it's all going to depend on the personnel that he has as well, too. And I think that's going to be a key. If he comes in here, he has to take a good, large look. And they're probably discuss- they probably discussed it already going, hey, look at the personnel. What would you do with this? He, it, it, uh, good coaches are able to go ahead and adapt to the personnel that they have. I mean, they're able to go ahead and do that. I think I think he's Sellers is only one of the guys that can go ahead and do that and mm-hmm. he can go ahead and work around Darius Slay as well, too. So there was a rumor that came out today about uh, the Eagles offensive line coach, uh, Jeff Statlin, that he may uh, decide to go back to, to Alabama um, and, and coach their offensive line. Um, so this is a little bit of a, a two-pronged question. Uh, first, what is your your you know your feel on the situation? Have you heard anything? Um, what do you think the likelihood of that is? Um, and then secondly, if you know if you have Jeff Stoutland going, not exactly taking a promotion, um, are the Eagles not really a, a very attractive um, opportunity for coaches right now? Are they going to have trouble um, kind of having their pick? Uh, obviously, you know, with a head coach and then uh, retaining coaches that that they want to. I think when it comes to Stoutland, I haven't heard anything concrete at all. I know Les Bowen for Philadelphia Inquirer, he had something saying that he's still on a contract. He he's still undecided. I mean, if I'm a coach right now that's currently under contract with the Eagles, I'm I'm feeling uneasy because your your future's uncertain. I mean Stoutland had did coach with Saban back beforehand, went before Chip Kelly asked him to come join the Eagles and he's a good offensive good offensive line coach. Very good. I mean you saw what he did with Jordan Maialata and, and a lot of these other guys. Nate Harabick, if you, you can get all the and Jack Driscoll, all these young guys you saw come in, I think that that he he had a big part in that. As for the attractiveness of this position, I, I right now I think it's, it's one of the lower ones that are out there. That's and this kind of goes ahead, and I, I still understand why the Eagles fired Peterson this year. I think right now they're about forty. They're going to be if you roll over some of that money from this year over to next year, they're about like forty, fifty, some million dollars over the cap still. And you only have seven round, seven draft picks. You have a quarterback controversy as well, too. Just why not stick with Peterson for one more year when your cap space, you're not in cap hell anymore. You go ahead, you still have your full picks ready to go. And then if you don't have it, if, if Peterson is not able to do it, cut bait from there, try a whole new clean slate and say, hey, you know what, who's the top Who's the top candidates available right now? And they'll probably jump on it. I, that's what a little, a, little, a little confusing when they make this move, but... I think if I'm Stoutland, I'm probably – I know he's still on the contract, so he doesn't have that much more. I mean, I'm pretty sure if he probably asked the Eagles, they'd probably say, hey, you know what, they probably throw money first, go, hey, no, we'll give you a raise. But if they, if he, if he truly say, hey, you know what, guys, I want to go, they probably – they may let him out and kind of play. It's, it's tough, but I, if, if whatever I do, if, if I'm the Eagles, I'm trying to go ahead and convince everything I can to go ahead and stay and keep the, develop, keep the continuity of that position. I mean, it's going back to Sal, Sally, I think. Well, for pronunciation grades. I would say there's a pronunciation guy on the name. But going back to him, one little interesting nugget that if he selected, he was actually a grad assistant when Stoutland was at Michigan State. When they both were at he was a grad assistant. So if he truly be, does become the head coach, maybe he stays because he's familiar with him. He saw him when he was a young coach. I mean, maybe that's one thing. But it's kind of hard to turn and save it down if that's really the case as well, too. So it's fluid, right? Now. It's very fluid when it comes to that. 
I got you. And you touched on a little bit there, but you know we couldn't have you on here without bringing it up. You see the jersey I'm wearing. You mentioned the controversy. <laughs> you know I got to ask. You know I got to ask. How do you feel about this whole situation right now? Wentz and Hurts. How do you think Wentz's career looks up to this point? How do you think Hurts did in this past season? I mean, small sample size. Three and a half games, if we're counting that, three and three quarters of a game. It's like... How do you feel each his careers have looked so far in Philadelphia? Wentz obviously having a little bit bigger body of work. And what do you think the answer is to all of this going forward in terms of who is the QB? Because that's the leadership position in the locker room. It's the captain of your team. You can't fish rods from the head down. You can't be having this keep happening at the top and expect the rest of the team to succeed. So what do you think about all that? Looking at it, I think Wentz's career, he's very talented guy. He can go ahead. I, I I think he still has athletic, even though it's injury plagued. He he's had the issues. He had a back, had the knee, the concussion. He's got, he's been hit a lot, especially after this last season. I think he's still a lot of attributes there. And he's proven it. He's proven it beforehand yeah. that he's able to be a top quarterback in the league. I think when you look at Jalen Hurts, he's also proven. I think you see little things as well too. I mean, he's made a lot of progress, especially when he's beginning of the training camp all the way through to where he is now. I still remember. During training camp, he was throwing off his back foot a lot, and the ball was sailing up. It was starting to sail a little bit. You're still looking like he's got to refine this. And I think one guy who deserves a lot of credit for making the way he's looked lately, like especially helping him out a lot, was Marty Morningwig. I mean, they were tied at the hip. Marty was going ahead, talking through him after a session. He was done. He would go ahead and talk to Marty. And you saw the improvement when it came to the pass. I mean, didn't see that that last game in 7 or 20, didn't really show it but you still see there's tools there that you can go ahead and build upon and we all know his athleticism we all know that he can run as well too but if he learns how to stay in the pocket a little bit more without thinking like 1001 1002 is not there i'm going to gotta run look around the pocket he can be good as well too looking for 2021 i'm i'm more inclined to say hey wince go wince would if i had to say hey you know what right now Wentz or Hurts right now, I would go Wentz. But I think the best thing, I know it's going to call, it may cost some division in the locker room, but that's why I think you really need a really, really strong coach in order to do that. I think it's best to go for a competition so that everybody can go ahead and see, hey, this is what's going on. And then once you have that competition, the coach has to be decisive. Can't go, can't him and Hall and go, well, let's wait till the fourth preseason game and go this way too. I think they should know about a third game, and then if they have three three preseason games, depending if they have a 17th game and all that other fun stuff, but <laughs> they should go ahead and figure it out early, and then from there and say, hey, this is our guy. We're going to surround ourselves with a guy, whoever wins it, and we're going to go from there. If it's wins the backup, wins the backup, he has to accept it because you're paying him $34 million no matter what anyway. So you might as well get your money's worth instead of saying, hey, let's get a third-round pick and give him a track record of the draft lately round picks, fourth round picks in. So I'd probably say I wouldn't be surprised if Wentz was a starter, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Hurt beats him out of competition as well, too. Yeah, so I also definitely want to address Howie Roseman. Um, over the past year, it seemed to me, I, I mean, this is an observation just from the nuggets of information we've been 
uh, seeing come out about the for the front office or the Eagles' uh, relationship with Doug Peterson. Um, it also it kind of seems to me that Howie Roseman has been jockeying for position uh, and kind of just making sure that if this thing goes south, you know, it's on Doug Peterson and it's not on me. Um, I don't know if you remember uh, late in the summer uh, an article came out about you know uh, Doug Peterson how you know um, he maybe not having the best relationship. Um, with with Jeffrey Lurie uh, and kind of just it was a little bit of a disparaging um, a little bit of a disparaging article and I remember listening to 94.1 and them saying you know this might be Howie Roseman leaking information um, in, in order to you know kind of get himself seen in a better light in case this thing goes south um, obviously it has gone south but, you know the Eagles uh, didn't have a great season um, so I don't know uh, Howie right now seems to me. Um, like he's playing a little bit more politics than he is actually doing his job. Um, and, you know, obviously we have the situation with him, um, you know, not drafting well, uh, Carson Wentz being their only pro bowler since I think what, uh, 2014 that they've drafted. Uh, um, so, you know, I, uh, you know, it seems to me like Howie Roseman should be in hot water, uh, but maybe, maybe he's not. If you're Jeffrey Lurie, what are, what are you doing? Uh, are you are you keeping him around or are you kind of like letting him loose? I'm keeping him around. I mean, at this point right now, it's, it's going to be you're really in the thick of setting your draft boards right now. You're really in the thick of getting everything set up for that one. At this point, I'm going ahead and I'm going ahead and uh, keep him for one season. But I might be having on my cell phone, might go ahead and call some people and go, hey, you know what? What do you think about this guy, this organization, and, and try to do it as clandestine way as possible? Because especially with the draft track work, track, track record, with some of the personnel moves that's happened lately, I'm more inclined to start saying, "Hey, you know what? If this doesn't work right, you gotta go ahead and gotta find a new general manager or, or player personnel, whatever title you want to go ahead and give." Because there's been a lot of resources that have been put into a lot of these positions. I mean. I like the way that Malik Jackson played this year. I like the way that Javon Hargrave played. But did this team really need to pay that much to go ahead and bring those guys in a defensive tackle when you still have some glaring needs, especially at corner and some of the other spots? There's little things that, uh, there's little things along the way that you see and you question. And then lately with the way that this latest thing came out with the possibility of Roseman having say in who ha who's active and who's inactive and stuff like that. And I know that's more of like a, a thing where everybody says, hey, you know what, we should activate this person, we should activate this one. But you would think that it would go down to the coach, but more the general manager's taking over as well, too. And not to say, now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying, hey, you know what, JJ, or think of Whiteside was going to go ahead and change the world this year. <laughs> what been happening? But guys like that, I think little things like that starts to add up. And everybody knows his ability to go ahead and change the cap. Everybody knows his ability to go ahead and, and manage that. But over time, it's nice to go ahead and manage the cap, but if you're not getting results on the field over and over again, it's kind of rough. And he, he, I think that the personnel has put themselves in that position, and he, he has one year to basically turn around. It's almost, for him, it's almost like 26, it's got to be like 2016, 2016 all over again, 2017. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we have one of those automatic lights here, so I kind of get that, but it, it's got to be for him. It's, uh, it's got to be one of those things where he has to be able to go ahead and turn around like 2016, 2017. If not, I'd, I'd move on personally. And you talked about Howie's, um, I, I guess, his ability to deal with the cap. 
um, that's you know been identified as his strength uh, rather than um, you know scouting or, or player personnel, um, especially you know in the draft. Um, can he get us out of this cap situation? I mean, it, it's it's pretty it's pr- looking pretty grim. Can he get us out of this situation? If not immediately this year, this off season, um, if he stays around, is that something he's going to be able to do over the next maybe two or three years? I think two or three years are set up perfectly. I think they have a uh, and and don't quote me, I have to double check and look on. But I think over the cap, I think they have about like sixty seventy. So they have a lot. They have a lot of space in 2022, 2023. So this year, when they were chasing everybody, it was like it, they put themselves in that hole. For this one, I think it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot of tough decisions. I think when you look at what they're going to have to do with Deshaun Jackson, I mean, well, I, th- I think Deshaun Jackson gave a lot to this organization, but unfortunately, I think it may be time for him to it, the money he's due is going to be that one. Alshon Jeffrey, especially when you have a guy like Jalen Rager, Travis Fulgham. Potentially could be taking one of the night draft. You don't go corner. You probably go with after Jamar Chase or Devonta Smith if he's still available. You have two receivers there. I mean, it'd be nice to have a veteran, but your veteran may have to be Greg Ward because just because of his cap number. And I will say this: he did a good job. Go ahead and getting Jackson and, and Jeffrey to go ahead and do that before the restructure, so they can come if they do come beforehand. They, they free up some space. Is doable if they are if they. I think it's doable, but they may have very, very limited. I would probably say if I had to, if I had to estimate, right? If they all the moves they go ahead and make in that one too, you can probably get like maybe 10, 10 under the cap, five, ten, somewhere around that area. It won't be anything that you'd be able to sign a splashy free agent to go ahead and come in there and help. You're going to look at a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of guys who probably would go day three, day two guys who won't be impact players, but who can be good serviceable pieces on a team. So. It's doable. He's shown he's done it in the past to go ahead and make some moves that way too. For all we know, there could be a couple other things that he knows well too. Because a couple of restructures that they talked to after a few agents to go ahead and kick it down the can. And hey, who knows? There could, there could be another uh, veteran. Maybe Brandon Graham goes ahead and restructures. Maybe Derek Barnett signs an extension to go ahead and space some of that space, space like cat space out. So it's possible to go ahead and get out of it. It's just that that number right now is just really really daunting. I got you. And now we move on to we've been talking about the quarterbacks. We've been talking about the overall team, general manager. I want to talk a bit of some of the specific talent on this team. And I mean specifically our first round pick from the last year, Jalen Rager. I was a big believer in him myself coming into the league. I thought he could do good things with us. We had been missing in recent years that real speed option of a receiver, and I thought he could be that for us. Not really the year one you would hope for. It could have been worse, but it definitely could have been a lot better. What do you think Rager in year two? How do you think he'll fit in going forward? Do you think he'll make more of a jump in his sophomore year? Are you confident in him? And what do you think he plays into as a role in this franchise long term? I think I'm still confident in his abilities and what he did. I think two things really hampered him. And it seems like it's the same theme that goes on this one here. When he hurt his shoulder during that scrimmage, Early on, I think, especially for a rookie, trying to get your timing down with your quarterback, trying to get used to reading the routes or the options, where to break in, where to break off. I think that hurt him. And then missing those five weeks with that UCL tear in his thumb, I think that that was really, really key. And it really set his progress back, I think, a little bit as well, too, because you just got over the shoulder. Hey, I'm playing Washington at 155 yard catch. Hey, playing the Rams. Oh, I hurt my thumb. And then he's out for a while. I think. The Eagles started to use them a little bit better toward the end of the season when they were going ahead and using those on, on those jet sweeps, on those fly sweeps, on 
a lot of ways trying to get. You don't know how we lamented them not handing the ball to him. <laughs> oh my god! Every single time. I think no. every weekly podcast we went over how they didn't give him an end around or a jet sweep. He, they, if they look, I, I know their offense. The East Coast offense is way different from what McVeigh runs. But if you look mm-hmm. at the way they use Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and using it that way, he fits perfectly in those and using use them that way. I mean, right. and even if they go ahead and if they. How many times we see early in the season where he would run that motion, and you would go ahead thinking like, and nobody was respecting it because the Eagles would never go ahead and do it. It's like, okay, he's just running just to run, and then go ahead. Like, there's so much stuff you can do off of that. So much actually can run ahead and confuse the linebackers as well too. And throw, even if they did that well too a couple of times, you probably could have gotten Dallas Goddard, Zach Gertz, Richard Rodgers right behind that middle level. He, they probably wouldn't have eaten a lot of time. They would have, they would have had a lot of success, but they didn't do as much. I think that. This whole entire offseason, I think he's going better. He's going to be, and the only one thing that's going to hurt him is going to have a new offensive coordinator or a new playbook he's going to study. It's just basically, but it's basically terminology. There's a lot of the routes run the same, just basically how somebody likes to run a pose, flag, stuff like that. But I still think there's a lot. He can still do a lot. I think he's still a good future in them. If they get a guy like Devonta Smith or Jamar Chase, I think he could be a good compliment. I see a lot. I know I said he looks a lot like Robert Woods, but I see a lot of Jeremy Macklin in when it comes to Jeremy yes. Rager, Jalen Rager. And the thing's going to have to be – he has going to have to – just like Jeremy Mack, he's going to have to remain healthy. But he also has so much potential that he can go ahead and and, and be dangerous down the field and, and they can use so much. And that's why I really want to see whatever offensive coordinator bring in here. This is a strong offensive mind. You can do a lot with him and he can be dangerous. Yeah, growing up a Jeremy Macklin fan myself, he definitely reminds me a lot of Jeremy Macklin, especially same number too. So it's like you almost feel like it's Jeremy Macklin back out. It's there. eerie. It was really eerie. Right. It was starting looking like okay, there he goes. Like, oh no, he's not hurt again. Okay, here we go. That one too. But then you go to you go to like wow, he's going to deep ball. Wow, he caught that ball. Okay, it's great. And he's he he has the same fire. It seems like as Rager, uh, Rager right. and does too. So it's it's eerie how close they, how similar they are. And maybe that was in the back of the mind of the Eagles when they selected them as well too. But he can definitely go and contribute next season. Yeah, hundred percent. It would have been if Deshaun could have stayed healthy. It would have been interesting to see if we really would have been eerie with uh with you know Macklin and Jackson being on both sides of the ball or both sides of the formation. But um, in addition to that, also I wanted to mention if Robert Selah gets hired, um, I've heard he might bring in Michael Fleur from who's the pass game coordinator for I think I believe he's the pass game coordinator for Forty ers and I've heard he was the one who designed a lot of. Um, a lot of those like handoffs to Brandon Ayuk or Diva Samuel, just getting them into space. And um, like Sanjay said, you don't know how many times we talked about, we referenced the Rams specifically too this year. Um, also just like making Carson more comfortable if he was, you know, he's Doug saw him starting to struggle, but um, I just want to mention that and also get your thoughts on when they picked Rager over Jefferson, what was kind of going through your head? What did you think of the pick? And also you also brought up Jay Jaw. I've been the biggest critic of Jay Jaw, but I've also been, I've also defended him a lot too because he also he also does kind of in my opinion I feel like sometimes he is not utilized the way he should be and there's also been missed touchdowns with him at times but obviously like you said he's not going to be a world changer for the team but I want to get your thoughts on those too. I was working in the news division. I was working on the news side during the draft night and I'm sitting there and our layout guy Glenn Cockleman. We're sitting there looking at draft and we heard Jalen Rager's name. We're just like, this really? Huh? And at first, it's like, and then after like about 10, 15 minutes, I, I had to stop and go, wait a minute. 
And you start to see his situation. You start to think about a situation where he was when he's down TCU that senior year as well. She was like, "Oh, it can be, it can be okay." And then as the months progressed, I'm like, you know what? It actually could be pretty good. And then we saw him in training camp. It's like when I joined on the sports, like, wow, okay, yeah, this guy is really good. And then stuff happens there. So, I mean, Jefferson. I mean, there's no denying it. Jefferson had a great rookie year. Jefferson looks like he's going to be one of the top five wide receivers for the next four or five years, which is going to sting a lot, and especially after the whole DK Metcalf thing. It's really going to sting a little bit, for I think, for Eagles fans. But I think it's not – and not to call him a constellation or anything or second, second, nothing like that, but I think you still have a lot of stuff there. But when it comes to J.J. or Sega Whiteside, it's a, it's a little infuriating when you see – he can make a lot of these tough catches. I mean, we saw this toe tapper down in training camp where you're sitting there looking, and literally, I kid you not, there's about between about this much space between the backside of the end zone to where if he, he caught the ball perfectly, placed, placed both feet in bounds, and you see that stuff, it's like, wow, this guy can go ahead and do it. And then when it comes to a game, it's, it's, it's like, what happened there? It's one of those things where he's, he does – he looks he – looks, like he does really well in practice, but I don't know what translate when he gets to the games that he, he used to drop a lot of those easy balls. Now, it was Washington. Maybe there was a lot of pressure in there, and he caught a couple passes. I mean, Pittsburgh. I mean, it got bad to the point where he started going like, oh, my goodness, J.J. Hatsaka-Weiss, I caught a, a pass. It, it was It's frustrating because he has the physical he has the physical size that you would love to have an X receiver and a guy is a guy to replace Alshon, but this is some disconnect that he hasn't put it together when it comes to the game time. And I think now it's been enough time between the draft and this upcoming season where you hate to see it, but if he doesn't perform well enough to go ahead and show it, I would personally, I wouldn't be surprised if they let him go, especially with all the other talent that they have around there. I mean, Fogum basically became Fogum became what JJ Arcega Whiteside should have been. And that's the part where you see like, why can't you? But why can't you be like this? Because then you really, really start to change the dynamic of this offense. It's, uh, it's, it's just one of those things where you start to look and go, what did you see in our single white side that you didn't see in Metcalf during the process? That's just personally, personally for me when I was looking from the outside looking in, when that draft happened, I was like, I, I just, just didn't get it. No, nah, you said it. The draft nightmare with our wide receivers is real. I can't watch Vikings games or Seahawks games anymore. Every time I see DK or Justin Jefferson do something amazing, I just cry a little bit. It's just it hurts too much. It hurts too much to watch them just ball the way they do. But while we're talking about the draft nightmare, the draft coming up in a few months. We sit at pick six. Now we got three questions for you in order here. Who do you want at pick six? Who do you think the birds are actually going to take at pick six? And do you think the birds will trade out of this pick? Like, do you think they're just going to move back, get capital? Like you mentioned, we're in kind of cap nightmare right now. So just trade back, try to get some more young impact guys. What do you think? If I'm at pit six, I think, I think I'll be able to ask, answer your last two questions. The same thing. If I'm at pick six myself and Devonta Smith is there, I'm taking them. I'm not now. I'm not saying, Hey, don't become the Detroit Lions where you pick a wide receiver four straight years and try. I hope you hit a one. But I think that much talent that's available, you can't really find that. And he's able – he does something that not a lot of guys on his roster can do is basically get separation and find a way to get open. And they don't have that. And then when he gets the ball in his hands, 
he's been able to go ahead and make a big play. That the separate he's able to create a lot of separation. Chase Chase can do that as well too. But that leads into the second one. I think they will trade back. I think it was very. I think when Lori said it Monday, when he said back, you know, try to look back and acquire picks and everything. I don't know if that was a silent. It's open. I mean, if I'm the Eagles, I'm seriously considering it because you do have a lot of holes you need to fill. You would have a lot. I mean, it's more cost effective to have more draft picks to try and go sign free agents. And you get the way I look at it when it comes, especially goes to draft, you get an extra, basically an extra pick to go ahead. And if you miss on one, you have another shot to go ahead and do it. So if I'm them, I'm I, if I trade back, I'm not trading any back further than nine. And you just hope that one of those teams down there are looking for a quarterback to go ahead and give you something. I think I used that old Bayesian chart, draft chart. I think the look at if you went back with the Panthers, you can go ahead and get a third and a fourth. I'd, as long as, as and I put this caveat on there as well too. As long as Jamar Chase, Caleb Farley, Farley, and Patrick Sertain are still on the board, I'm going to make that deal personally myself. I think the Eagles might entertain it. I think the Eagles might entertain actually seriously doing that, not specifically with going back to nine, but maybe trading down like maybe seven or eight just to make sure whatever team wants to get the quarterback, they want to make sure they ensure that. But I, I, I wouldn't have any problem. If, if Devonta Smith's there at six, I'm taking him. I wouldn't be surprised if the Eagles drop back at least back toward nine to go ahead and uh, pick up some extra ammunition. Yeah, you've talked about um, this team definitely having a lot of holes uh, at a lot of different positions. Um, but you're also talking about, you know, uh, being a little bit uh, open with this this pick number six. Um, so position-wise, uh, what what are your biggest concerns? What do the Eagles need to address uh, the most in the offseason? I think they need to get a, another playmaker, a wide receiver. I definitely think they need to get another cornerback. I think that's a, another key key position of need they get as well, too. And I wouldn't mind them seeing another edge rusher. Because the reason why I say the edge rusher part is Derek Barnett, you know, they have the fifth-year option, but if he doesn't extend, they don't want to extend them or you want to go ahead and look down the line, I wouldn't mind go ahead and getting a, a, a using a third-round pick to go ahead and get another uh, edge rusher when it comes to that. So I wouldn't be opposed to that one bit. And this team likes to go ahead and build when they're very successful. They like to build along the offensive and defensive lines, that outer shell on both sides of the ball. They like to build around the outer shells, and it does well on there. I'm looking, and part of, I think part of the draft plan, I'm look, you know, everybody says it. I'm really intrigued by Asante Samuel Jr. I think he can go ahead and provide a lot yes. of. Basically, uh, <laughs> I mean, I've if, got my Asante uh, senior jersey in my closet. <laughs> I am praying we got him this draft. I think he had, he's a very talented guy. I think he's just like his father, where he's a ball hawk as well, too. I'm not trying to. So a dig at him or his dad or anything like that for him. I mean, hopefully he's a better tackler as well, too. I think he, <laughs> he tackled when he had to. I was, I was kidding, I don't know. He tackled when he had to. When he had to, he's last minute. He, he'd make an attempt. He just didn't want to see the Ole or the, oh, missed that one, too. But I think Asante <laughs> Jr. definitely would be good. The thing you're going to have, the Eagles are going to have to hope if they want to go ahead and pick him up, is that he the combine numbers doesn't go, go through the roof. Because I think a lot, I think a lot of the teams see the potential in him as well, too. And if he's there and he has a very good combine, I wouldn't be shocked. I was seriously with the need of, for cornerbacks and the way this league's become a passing league. I wouldn't be shocked if he's taken the very, very late first round, but I think he's definitely going to second. And if he's there at six, I think you have to take him with the second pick, but wide receiver, cornerback, 
defensive end will be the top three areas I would go ahead and vote. Well, Chris, we enjoyed hearing your insight on this episode. We really appreciate you joining on again. We can't thank you enough for, for taking time out of your day to just um, talk birds with us. I mean, we love talking birds. We're obviously Eagles fans. <laughs> we all got Eagles gear on right now, and uh, we love listening to the Eagles podcast and getting insight from you again. Thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything you want to say before we sign off? I just want to say thank you guys. For, thanks for guys for having me. It's always great to talk football, especially when it comes to the Eagles. And thank you guys. You guys keep on doing what you're doing as well, too. Keep working hard. Keep enjoying the podcast stuff. And f- feel free. Keep reading us on uh, NJ.com. We follow my Twitter, uh, C. Franklin News. Uh, follow my partner, Mike K. as well, too. We will keep doing what we can to go ahead and make sure you guys go ahead and uh, get the information that you guys want and analysis with that as well, too. Thank no, you great again, Chris. Thanks, guys. Yeah, great to have you. All right, we're gonna we're gonna sign off now, everyone. Thank you for watching. Run, booby, run. Fly goes fly. We'll see you guys later.